Hello, and welcome to Our Hidden Stories. I'm your host, Sharice Johnson. If we're honest, most of us live life through a social media highlight reel, only sharing parts of who we are with those around us. Well, today is an opportunity to not only listen, but to get out of the game of hide and seek we often play with ourselves. So sit back, get comfortable, and let's dive into today's episode. Because remember, there are always layers of hidden stories waiting to be told. Hello, 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 and welcome to this episode of Our Hidden Stories. I'm always excited, but very excited to have Davy Ann Farron here Yay. with us today. <gasps> yes. So beautiful, beautiful soul and friend that we met in college. So let me say this first. Uh, this is your story, not my story. So no sharing anything about me. I plead the fifth. <laughs> No, I'm teasing that, that you might say, but I so appreciate you just even being willing to come because when we're telling the truth of our lives, it's not easy, right? Right. You know, it is vulnerable, um, but be as open as, as you want to. I give that invitation to everyone else. And for those of you who are listening, you know, just sit back and see what stands out um, to you as you as you listen along. So tell us a little bit about who you are and what you're doing in this season of life. Okay, um, I'm Davianne Farron. I am 35 again for, you know. <laughs> plus, plus. 35, plus, plus. yeah, for a couple of years. <laughs> I am a mother of one, um, soon to be a divorcee mm-hmm. and just learning to, embrace that I guess I am dean of a high school in Philadelphia I'm a church worker you name it I've done it and I think that's about it what am I doing during COVID nothing just like the rest of the world Mm. not much I was wondering that so yeah how has being dean of a school changed because school is really up in the air for everybody Yeah. So our students are online right now. The good part about it is that I don't have to deal with the behaviors. I'm at an inner city school in Philadelphia. So urban education at its finest. Mm -hmm. Um, I was extremely understaffed. So imagine breaking up fights with 18 year old grown men um, and their parents. So I'm okay with not being in the building. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm focusing on attendance and compliance and mm-hmm. it's it's good. I don't mind being at home and working in my pajamas. Okay. Yes, that is definitely a plus. So it sounds like, you know, the stress level at least of being in the middle of everything is down a little Absolutely. bit. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, though, okay. well, I'm home with a 13 year old. Okay. So that I have kidding. to help. Yeah. 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 Just kidding. yeah. All day, every day. So okay. Eh. yeah. Okay. <laughs> so you're like doing that school and then trying to be a teacher at the same yes. time. Yeah. Teacher, mom, disciplinarian, friend, warden, you name it. Yeah, yeah. all of the above by yourself. Mm-hmm. Yes. Welcome to 2020, you know what I mean, which is, which is crazy. So I always kind of ask everyone this question. You know, I think 
pray, reach out to different people. We are typically, you know, I'm not always going to assume taught to keep our stories in and not to share them. So what made you even consider or be willing to like, you know, kind of be put on the spot and be willing to open up? Um, I think number one, it's you and probably anything you asked me to do, I would do for you. Um, but then I think it's also time. Um, growing up, my mom taught me a little nursery rhyme, if you will. It's have many friends and treat them well. Never to them your secrets tell. For when your friends become your foes, out into the world your secret goes. Mm. So that's all I've ever known. And I, I would say it has to be the Lord just working on me and in me mm-hmm. um, to even get me to this point where I'm like, okay, whatever you want to see, I'll show it to you. Like, yeah. I don't even care anymore. Yeah. You know, when you say that, tell us a little bit about your culture, you know, because you're not just like Black American. So there's going to be some other influences in your life. Yeah, I am. I was born in Jamaica. Um my mom immigrated to the United States after my dad died. And it has been a very interesting journey. So I am Jamaican on paper, but America raised me. Okay. So sometimes that's really hard to reconcile because the cultures are completely different. Um, we do a lot more keeping it inside. Um, what happens at home stays at home. Mm-hmm. There's no such thing as therapy. You just get a beaten because you're bad. Um, so, you know, it's completely different in America. You're taught to open up and share and mm-hmm. explore and do, and it's, it's not the same. Yeah. Yeah. Well, which if we can be honest right off the bat, hasn't always been your favorite thing. Being no. open. No. Why? <laughs> That's like a sign of weakness. You don't share your business. <gasps> Keep it to yourself. Yeah. But you're also talking to somebody that came to this country with my mother, um, illegally. So that wasn't something that you shared because that's going to get you sent back home. Although the life we had at home was good in Jamaica was good. Very good life. Mm -hmm. Um, My mom had some stuff going on right after my dad died because all of the skeletons come out the closet Mm -hmm. and it was just too much for her in her twenties with two kids. So she didn't want to go back home. Mm -hmm. So we learned from very early on, keep your stuff to yourself. Yeah. Yeah. The consequences are dire. I was going to say, you you bring up a great point that is so sadly common in the history of Jamaican, Blacks, West Indies, just kind of BIPOC individuals is there's a lot of times where keeping your mouth closed is protection, mm-hmm. right? You know, so you mentioned, hey, we came here illegally. You know, your mom would have literally had to impress upon you as a child you can't let anybody know these things or life will change or Mm -hmm. we will be in jeopardy. Yeah. You're deported. You're, you're incarcerated, you're sent home, you know, so it it wasn't, we can't even tell people where we lived. I think when we were younger, we used to go to a school nowhere near where we lived. And one day my mom, she was working two or three jobs and she overslept and forgot to get us. And we had to wait at the school and this was before cell phones. So yeah. there was no way to call her and say, Hey, come get us. And the information they had on school was not the right information. Um, so we got, it got all sorted out, I guess, because mom came and picked us up, but then we had to leave that school. 
because they needed her to provide documentation for our address and she couldn't. Wow. So, you know, and it felt bad. I remember feeling so badly then because I had to tell them that we didn't live in a neighborhood mm-hmm. because they wanted to know why it was that our mom still couldn't pick us up at five o'clock. She yeah. just overslept. Yeah. You know, you bring up a good point because I think so many times everybody has very different views around immigration or people that are here illegally. But I do believe that so often we have no idea of the story behind why they're here. You know, Mm -hmm. there's been specific pictures that are painted um, and we just don't always understand the Mm -hmm. reasons that a family, that a mom like yours with two children would risk everything to make a fresh start. Yeah, it was my my dad. My dad, he had his issues mostly with alcohol and women. Mm -hmm. And um, once he died, then everything just exploded. Yeah. Uh, And she found out how much she didn't know. Mm -hmm. So it was, we had to go. We didn't have a choice. Mm -hmm. What was that like for you then? So you're here. You can't say much to anybody. You know, my mind goes to there is no meeting a friend and having them come over. And what's that? that? (laughs) Right. Like that is not going to happen. You know what I mean? But no, there wasn't growing up. There wasn't really that. Um, I think we first had some friends when we moved to Narstown. Um, By then we had gotten ourselves together. My mom had gotten married and. We had our own little family, but that was probably middle school. And I came here when I was about nine. Okay. So maybe, and the only people that actually came to our house were the people that were at church with us. Mm-hmm. I don't think I've ever really had a school friend, maybe one that ever came to our house. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there was no such thing as a sleepover and we just, it just didn't do that. Culturally, you didn't do that anyways. You just weren't at someone's house. And then we were here and we had all this other stuff. So, yeah. Was there ever a point that you, that that was hard for you? You know, because again, you have this one culture. This is what we do. This is what we don't do. But you're now in the middle of a whole different culture that does things very differently in terms of like friends and inviting people over and lifestyle. Um. I don't think I knew a whole lot better. I think it was just the, it was just what it was. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like, why are these people going to each other's houses? Mm-hmm. No one was really inviting me anywhere anyway. So <laughs> I didn't have to process it. Yeah. I, I just, it's not like anybody was trying to come to my house to hang out. Mm-hmm. Um, so then shifting to later on when I met you, which would have been college, when I hear you describe kind of how you grew up, nobody was inviting you anywhere. Honestly, there's a part of my mind that can't even conceive that because I like pretty much lived at your house half the time. You know yeah, what I mean? Eating my food. <laughs> no, let's get that straight. I was not Randy. eating your food. Randy was eating your food. My True. husband was eating your yes, food. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, then boyfriend. But that's so opposite of what I know of you because you've always been so hospitable and come over and make yourself comfortable. What can I get for mm-hmm. you? So talk about that transition or like, how did you even make that transition? 
Well, I think you have to know why I ended up there. Okay. Um, Lee was not my choice. Lee, I was not interested in Lee University. I wanted to go <laughs> to cosmetology school. Mm-hmm. I was not thinking about Jesus or his university. Um, <laughs> my mother said, you don't have a choice. Your two options are go to this school or go back to Jamaica. So, Whoa, yeah, I, I didn't apply for any other colleges. I applied only for Lee and I got in. Yeah, um, because the church that we were attending was, they called it old school, Pentecostal. Mm-hmm. Okay, I've grown and I see it differently now, mm-hmm. but it was very restrictive, mm-hmm. more so to the women than the men. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm talking old school, like women have to sit behind the men. So the men could sit in the first two rows and the women had to sit behind. You wow. couldn't, yes, you couldn't wear pants, um, no jewelry, no makeup, no nail polish. If you did, the Lord didn't hear your prayers. You were condemned to eternal damnation. Whoa. Yeah. That church almost broke me. Um, my mom was a minister Mm-hmm. And then I think it shifted for her from this this blind obedience to, wait a minute, God, there's not you that I know anywhere in here. Yeah. Because the pastor was very strict. You must obey. You mm-hmm. follow everything I say. You don't question what I say. Mm-hmm. And at a certain point, um, it almost that almost broke me. There was just so much drama and hurt associated with that one little church in the corner mm-hmm. or on the corner of that little town mm-hmm. that I almost lost my mind, literally. Wow. Like waking up in the middle of the night, nosebleeds, um, just sitting, just hemorrhaging all over the place. Wow. It was a mess. I almost died. It was that bad. And my mom said, you got to get out of here. And that was her way of getting me away from the abusive situation in the church that I was in. Yeah. And she shipped me off to Lee. But then I'm also listening to you go, okay, I was in this church that was highly abusive. You're physically demonstrating everything possible that says like, this is toxic. But then you're also heading to a university that is a faith-based university that doesn't typically sound like, okay, oh, I'm going to go into another situation and it's just supposed to be good. Yeah, I... I didn't care. I just needed to get out of there. Um, and my mom said she wanted us to have, and this is later in life. She wanted us to have a good understanding of who God is and that he wasn't what we were seeing. Um, and she stayed in that for a few more years. Like she just didn't have, she didn't have the strength to leave it. And it's a classic abusive situation. Like I'm going to get my kid out, but I I have to stay. I'm stuck. Mm-hmm. Um, and she did, she did eventually leave and the pastor con- condemned her to, to damnation and, and all of that. And mm-hmm. that's how I ended up at Lee. Yeah. Yeah. So how did you think that influenced your time there? You know, cause you're coming in, you're coming in broken, you know, mm-hmm. you're coming in looking for what sounds like safety and security, but also it's completely unknown. It was. And I appreciated that space where I, no one knew me and I could be what I wanted to be. Mm-hmm. Um, in Jamaica, they have a phrase called brook oats. Mm-hmm. And I did. I was 
I broke out, but not like your typical sense. I started with the eyeshadow and the lipstick and <laughs> my face looked like a clown in hindsight because I just wanted to be normal. Mm-hmm. And that's all we saw at Lee. Everybody was painting it up every day, honey. Yeah, yeah. Except yeah, the yeah. black and brown folks. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I was like, not about that life then. But. And I didn't know any better, but I wanted to just fit in. I wanted to be that. Um, mm-hmm. It was different. I'm thankful for the experience, mm-hmm. but it was different. And I could even find myself with the, I'm going to say the isolation, because I only stayed on campus the one year. Mm-hmm. And after that, I was I was away. I was away from the the hub. I was kind of just by myself in my own space. I had friends, but only certain ones ever were close enough to really even mm-hmm. know anything about me and share my space. Mm-hmm. So just because I sing on the choir and talk to all y'all here, don't mean that yeah y'all get to spend that mm-hmm. that time with me. So it's almost like you. I mean, you were nice, of course, but you were selective. About mm-hmm. who you let in, why, why the isolation that you bring have in? many friends and treat them well. Never to them, your secrets tell. Okay. For when your friends become your foe out in the world, your secret goes. Mm-hmm. So that even today, that still, that still grates on my soul. Because oh, what are you gonna do next? Just like always looking around the corner. Because I can't ever tell you everything. Because mm-hmm. it's gonna. So no one person knows everything. Mm-hmm. Ever. Oh, I don't know everything. I'm offended. I'm kidding. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm like KFC. So no one person has all 12 spices. That's so funny. No. Yeah. No, I you mean. Probably, you probably have more than everybody else. Yeah. But. No, that, I mean, that doesn't surprise me. I remember a pivotal moment in our friendship where I could sense that there was something going on, even though, you know, we didn't see each other all the time. And I remember you just kind of dropping hints, you know, like you wanted to say something, but then, yeah, something was holding you back for a while about being honest about different things. And I don't even know Mm -hmm. if you remember that. I probably don't. Yeah. Yeah. You want to say more? (laughs) I will say, because I want to protect, you know, what you did share you were afraid that I would judge you or be disappointed. Uh. And not because, I, I mean, I don't know why you felt that, you know, only you know, but it was this isolating, this distancing that you were doing. Mm-hmm. And then you kind of ended up saying, because I don't, you know, like you didn't want me to see that part of you or know that part of you. Mm-hmm. Because you, in your mind, assumed that it would change things between us. Yeah. Yeah. Because you can't, you have to keep your secrets to yourself. You do this by yourself. And it's really isolating um, because sometimes you do want to share, but then if you share, they're going to walk away. They're going to leave you. Mm-hmm. So you don't share. But the cost of that, like, if you're comfortable... Talk about what it feels like to hold all of those secrets and then believe that you have to keep them all and you have to do it all by yourself. I don't have one waterproof mascara tonight and I feel the tears already rolling. <laughs> right? I 
don't have a waterproof. Um, but what does it feel like? I don't know if I'm even allowing myself to feel it when I'm in it. I'm just doing, I'm constantly going. Um, but if I'm honest, I take it out on myself definitely with my eating. I find comfort there and I'll go find something to eat and just sit and relax and calm my nerves and then everything is okay. Yeah. So I don't always allow myself to feel mm-hmm. that isolation because I'll, I'll make myself, I guess, I don't know, I'll do something, figure it out, mm-hmm. but I don't feel. And for a while, it went with eating and drinking mm-hmm. because the drinking allowed me to fall asleep and to not think about it, to not feel and so, you know, I want to point out that can be such a common way that we as people cope, you know, so mm-hmm. we don't want to feel and yet we're self-medicating in other ways. Mm-hmm. You know, we would rather feel the fullness of food or the drowsiness of alcohol mm-hmm. Because even though that can feel really bad and we can push ourselves to a point that is really harmful, mm-hmm. there's still something about that that is more comfortable. Mm-hmm. It's safer than yeah. confronting yeah. Yeah. your own and I, I, and I will say safer for the moment. You're right. Absolutely. You know, and yeah. then it, you know, it, it, it passes and then you're like, okay, crap, it, it's all still there. Mm-hmm. Everything. Is still there. Yeah. That sounds like a lot to carry by yourself. But you're supposed to carry it by yourself, aren't you? Says who? Where does that come I don't know from? if anyone ever said it. It's just you live, you die, you do life by yourself. And there are times that I really want to just have that in my head. I have this whole girlfriend's moment and I just want to have my girlfriends and yeah. we get together and we do all of that stuff. And then the reality is like, yeah, I'm good. No, you can laugh with people, but you can't ever let folks know who you truly are. You just don't do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'll let you hold to that narrative. I don't. <laughs> believe that narrative but I will absolutely let you hold to that is your what I hear is just your your protective your place of like hey it almost sounds like and you can tell me if I'm reading it wrong it it's almost like hey well if I don't really want for it then I don't have to be disappointed when it doesn't turn out the way I want pretty close okay pretty spot on yeah, you don't have any expectations. You can't be disappointed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where do you think, I guess, kind of that message has been reinforced in your life? Because somewhere along the way, you had to pick up people leave if they see you, like if they really know they leave like I that really stands out to me as you're talking I don't know where I would have picked that up because I don't think my mom has ever said anything like that to me um I don't know where I picked that nonsense up I honestly don't Mm -hmm. could it be my dad left he wasn't 
a strong influence. He wasn't there when I needed him. He left. I grew up in an, in a, in an abusive household with my stepfather, extremely abusive. Um, I don't know. I could name places that I probably did, but no one ever said to me mm-hmm. or communicated in any way that, hey, if you do this, then they'll leave. Mm-hmm. But I got it somewhere and it's mm-hmm. it's a hard one to let go. Yeah. Well, even in just what the the little that you describe, what I hear is there weren't a lot of people that you felt like you could trust, you know, like that's formed in us growing up, you know, our relationships, mm-hmm. especially as females to males, we do look to them. We're kind of wired to look to them to go, is that going to be my sense of safety and security? So there's absolutely something to be said when that is damaged. Mm-hmm. And then we sometimes kind of take on, okay, then it's just going to have to be me. Um, yeah. yeah. I would also say this may be somewhat of a point of commonality. That can be a very strong pattern when you're also raised by a single mom. You know, so even though there was a male figure in your home. Yeah, she was single. Yeah, you know, and so there can be that place where when you see that it's like an unspoken message mm-hmm. of, okay, it's, it's all on her. And then as you go, you know, you take ownership for like, Hey, it's up to you. You're the only person that you can depend on mm-hmm. and, and rely on other people. Yeah. Wow. What's it like to put all of this out here? I think I'm just at a point where I don't care anymore. Like, I don't care what you think. You know, my mom used to say, when you get to a certain age, you reserve the right to say whatever you feel like. (laughs) And I feel like I say whatever I want to say now. And um, there might be someone else out there that feels the same way or has felt the same way. Mm -hmm. And it's a hard one to to feel, to understand, to also communicate to someone else, especially mm-hmm. if you're in the church, because if you are, you're not supposed to have any of these feelings mm-hmm. because Jesus fixes everything. And you're like, okay, well, what's wrong with me? Why do I feel this way? So I think it's just time. Okay. That might be a part two segment, the whole, <laughs> if you know Jesus, you're not supposed to have emotions. Yes. And he fixes everything because, yeah, that. No, seriously, we growing up, if the pastor would say that if you were feeling depressed, it's because you're not saved. And anything that was going on was because your relationship with Christ was not strong enough. Mm -hmm. Wow. So that just creates a whole lot of problems for you and just some internal conflict. Because if I were where God wanted me to be, then Mm -hmm. I wouldn't feel this way. And you do spend so much time beating up on yourself because you're not good enough. You're doing all of these things that, and that's why you're here. Yeah. Yeah. So where are you at now when it comes to your battle with that belief? I I got it. I get it. Um, do I still feel not good enough? Some, a lot of times, yeah. Mm-hmm. But I understand that that's, definitely not who God is, mm-hmm. um, but there are times that just like, well, why God, why me? Is it because I did this and because you don't love me? Mm-hmm. So I still 
and then I have to reel myself in. Like, no, that's not who God is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's like not the same. That programming that says, be, if you're bad, this happens, or if you're good, this yeah. happens. Which mm-hmm. it's it's not really work out. Right. Yeah, that's tough. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of people who struggle with that. And I also think there are a lot of people who want nothing to do with God because of hearing those same things, Mm -hmm. you know, or believing, I mean, if that is all it takes, I'll never be enough. So why try? Right. Mm -hmm. Which is really, really a tough way to live. Yeah. Just thinking that God is there always waiting to bash you over the head for everything you've ever done wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it sets up a really weird relationship with you and the person that says, I know that I have a really good plan for you, plan to prosper you, not to harm you. Mm-hmm. So how is it that you have this plan over here, but I feel like I am not good enough for the person that created me over here. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. If there was somebody else who was listening to this right now and they felt that same way. What would you say to them? You know, even though I know you're still in the middle of it yourself, it's easier sometimes to say things to other people that we wouldn't say to ourselves. I I honestly don't know if I would say anything. I think I would just listen Mm. Um, because you already know and you already know what you believe. You already know who you think God is or you know his word. You, You know, you know all the parts. But there's just that disconnect. So I would really want to just listen and just give them that space to say anything they felt like. No judgment. Use all the language, colorful or in between, that you want. Just get it out because you don't have that space Mm -hmm. to do that without someone thinking, well, my God, she's the praise and worship leader. This is how she feels. How can you lead people into worship if you don't feel like God is hearing your prayers? You know. Mm -hmm. So they just need that space to... And just let it all hang out. Yeah, to be real. Mm-hmm. And just honest about what's going on. Yep. Yeah, which is not always afforded. So when you think about kind of how you've grown up, the different messages you have, if you're keeping all these secrets, that takes a lot of work mm-hmm. to keep them contained. Yes. What do you feel like people misunderstand about you? Because then they're only seeing the version of you that you're choosing. That I give them. Absolutely. Right. Um, yeah. You say proudly. So funny. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, you, the first one is that it's everything is okay. Um, put together, everything is okay. No, it's not okay. Mm-hmm. You just think that. And sometimes they don't delve any deeper to find out if it's really okay, you take me at face value. It's okay. I'm good. I'm fine. Mm-hmm. Now you're different. You're like, uh-huh. Okay. Now what's the real deal? Yes. Yes. So, okay. <laughs> All right. So you're a little bit harder, but anybody else, you just say, okay. And they just keep it moving. Um, so no, I'm not always fine. I'm not always strong. Um, I think I have tried to be protector. Definitely for my mom. Um, my brother to a lesser extent, but I'm the protector. I'm the enforcer. I'm, I'm that beast that you definitely want on your team. Mm -hmm. 
but I'm not always her. Sometimes I just want to curl up in the corner and ball my eyes out, but I can't because I have to be strong because somebody is depending on me. Mm-hmm. I'm not always strong. Um, those are probably the two biggest ones. Yeah. What's the hardest part about feeling like you can't ever let that roll down? Like you ever, you can't ever lay down that cake because you know, again, when I hear you and then I think back to what you just shared about your childhood, it sounds to me like that may have even been a role that you took on as a child, you know, like being what we call sometimes that hero archetype. But what's the hardest thing about always wearing that cape? No one ever really gets to know who you are. Or sometimes I don't feel like I even have my voice because I'm doing whatever is necessary for other people. So I don't really, I don't have the luxury of having a voice in this matter or the things I might want to do. Something as simple as, okay, where are we going to eat tonight? Mm-hmm. I already know that you like Chinese. I know that you like steak. Okay, so let's go here. It's not because I just want to go to this restaurant, but everybody's needs can be met at this place. Mm-hmm. And then it's, well, what do you want? I don't know. I'll figure it out when I get there. Mm-hmm. So I feel like I'm always putting myself on the back burner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, w- I was going to say, I hear you basically saying you've resigned to having no needs. Yeah. As little as possible that can't be met by me, if that makes sense. <laughs> it does. Back to your narrative of I will only have them if they can yes. be met by me and me alone. Um, yes, because then, you know, sometimes it just doesn't work out. It doesn't work that other way. It doesn't work. Mm-hmm. It doesn't always work out. Has there ever been a moment when it has? You know, like a moment where even briefly, You've given yourself that permission to show some of who you really are or to place a little bit of trust in other people. Other than with people that I call close friends, I don't know if I allow folks to get that close. I don't think I do. And I know I'm sounding so crazy on your podcast. I'm really not. You're not sounding crazy. You're saying these are just you know no yeah but I don't think I allow people to even get that close to try to Mm -hmm. figure it all out I just don't yeah I would dare say I believe there are hundreds of thousands of people who can resonate with what you're saying and you know their needs depend upon the situation who they're around they don't believe that other people will meet them And to some degree, most people give people the version that they think Mm -hmm. they want to see, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. Mm -hmm. It's always who you need to see. What part of me do you need to see? So I'll show that. But who gets to see who I really am? I don't know. Probably my mom, my daughter. But not not many people. People that won't use it against you. People who won't run away. People who won't leave you. 
So they get to, they're stuck. They're stuck with me. So they kind of know who I am, but yeah. If you could show people one thing that you don't get a chance to show often and you weren't worried that they would manipulate it or go away, what would you show? So you want the answer that's like scripted or you want me just to say what I think? <laughs> uh, of course, I want you just to say what you think. I probably would strip my clothes off and stand in the middle of the street butt naked. Okay. <laughs> and be like, here, it's okay. fat. This is fat. This is a roll. Mm -hmm. These are stretch marks. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, now let's move on. Yeah. No, yeah. I wanted, I wanted truth. Yeah, that's the first one that came to my head. Like, I would probably just strip butt naked mm -hmm. so you would just fully be seen and go like let's let's move past this yeah because mm -hmm. yeah. that's me in my barest truest form you can't hide mm -hmm. you know you can put on a necklace or put on this or fix your face or whatever but that yeah. there's absolutely no hiding it is what it is mm -hmm. very, very yeah. true and it would still be there mm-hmm so for those of you who may be listening and have listened to this story and kind of resonating with different parts, you know, my challenge really and encouragement to you is to really ask yourself, do you allow people to really be their full selves or mm. do you put them in boxes, whether spoken or unspoken and only want to see the version of them that makes you comfortable mm. because I absolutely believe that can be something that we do without even recognizing you know and how can we as a culture as people as human beings as women really use the rawness of where we all are right now in this season in our history as a way to go if so much is being stripped away, can we also take off our mask? Mm. I, if you're up for it, I'm totally going to put you on the spot, would love to do a part two. And so there's a couple things that you said that still stand <laughs> out to me. Okay. But I, I do want to look at more the role of like, our relationship with food and our body and how that connects to our pain and our trauma. Okay. Um, since you opened that up and go down <laughs> that path. Okay. Um, but I so appreciate your time and your transparency and you're willing to tell a few of your secrets. Absolutely. To the people that are listening. Thank you so, so much. You're more than welcome. Thank you for having me. Always.